Welcome to the Art Guide Australia podcast with Tiani Mikus. In our conversation series, we delve a little deeper to hear directly from artists, and for this episode, I spoke with Kenny Piddick. With a practice mainly centering on drawing and ceramics, Piddick's work is characterised by his sense of humour, often glossing the lines between sentiment and irony. In our conversation, Piddick discusses witticisms and jokes, how his practice began, and how his ceramic book sculptures have led him to meet artists including David Shrigley, Ai Weiwei, and Tracy Moffat. Can we go back to the beginning of your practice and talk about not only when you first started drawing, but also when you began to make an art practice out of your drawings and ceramics? It's hard because that's not really the beginning is when I made an art practice. That feels like very late in the game because I was drawing um, always, you know, drawing and and making stuff and writing. uh, It's just something that I've always sort of done. I actually thought I was going to be a writer uh, around like the end of, high school, I was pretty sure that I would be a journalist, actually, uh, just because that was the only sort of writing that I knew you could do. Yeah, I remember the um, uh, careers counsellor giving a talk to our year level saying, you know, not everyone knows what they're going to do. Uh, we can't all be Kenny, who's going to be a journalist. Um, some people haven't figured it out yet. But I still always loved writing, um, and I think that's why I use a lot of uh, words in my art. So I guess if if writing and, and drawing had always you felt to be part of your life, when did did you ever feel like there was a transition where it started to become an art practice or become more professionalised in a way? Maybe. I mean, I did TAFE straight out of um, high school because I didn't really even know what university was. Um, so I did tape, and then I actually had a spine surgery. So I was mm. um, in bed for the best part of a year, and then I went to uni. So that was kind of a good period to kind of just make a lot of work in a really dense period of time. And so then when I went to uni, I'd kind of I had a bit of a jump start on uh, my voice, I guess. Um, uh, I kind of knew, like I'd made a lot of bad stuff, like that I, you know, well, not bad, bad, but like just average work um, that you have to kind of get out of your system. I remember um, Chuck Jones, the Bugs Bunny creator, he said once that like you've got 10,000 bad drawings in you before (laughs) you can make a good one. So you just, you know, the quicker you get them out, the better. and so I, I kind of did that over the year. Um, well, over my over many years. And I found it interesting because you said in an interview once about growing up and not really thinking about art per se and how you didn't visit somewhere like the National Gallery of Victoria until you were 16 or 17 years old. Yeah, 18, I think. I was in year 12. Oh, so I wasn't consuming art, art with a capital A, but I, you know, um, I've learned from, uh, you know, the early seasons of The Simpsons <laughs> and um, and Seinfeld and uh, just I read a lot of books. That was kind of where I came from. I think it's fair to say that you make work influenced by the life you live and what you think about. Do you think this is part of what makes your work so easily relatable and why it resonates with others? Well, that's very nice. 
that you think it's easily relatable. I guess I just make work about what's uh, around me because that's all I really know. Um, I guess, isn't that what most people do? I think so. I mean, even thinking about the idea of writers, you kind of know how they obsessively write about their own little quadrant of life. Oh, totally. I actually, I always feel like I need to make myself leave the studio too because you kind of can't make work about life unless you have one. Mm. <laughs> you, you have to kind of go out there, uh, which is uh, another good thing about my like casual job that I do. And that's being a, a trolley boy, I guess. Yeah, pushing pushing trolleys. Very glamorous. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I work two days a week um, pushing shopping trolleys, which I actually love um, for a few reasons. Uh, one, the people I work with are really good. It's also good exercise. Um, and, I mean, the main one is I collect shopping lists. I mean, the only downside of working at the the trolley job is that it reflects badly on the art practice. <laughs> where um, uh, I just know because we've just done housemate interviews last week with finding someone to fill a room, and you have to explain what you do. And so I'll say, uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I also work at a supermarket, <laughs> and so that'll. You just see it in their face that they'll clock it like, oh, yeah, he works at a supermarket and maybe he um, he does some drawings every once in a while. But they don't, you know, it's hard. You can't say, no, it's all I think about. Yeah. Um, that's no good either. It's funny because I talk to a lot of artists and a fair few of them do have that kind of self-consciousness about what is the best way to phrase what I do in life. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't often have to phrase it. Um which is good. Like I rarely talk about art with the people closest in my life, um, which is why I'm so bad at talking about it when I have to. Yeah, you can kind of get by without having to talk about it. I can't, you can talk about the ideas more than anything else, and that's much more accessible. Like right now I'm, um, I'm working on a sculpture of a bowl of wedges, um, and... I'm trying to figure out whether, like, do you ever order wedges out when you're out? Uh, I'm more a chips person, but, you know, I understand wedges. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes they come in a square bowl. They seem quite unique to wedges to come in a square bowl. Right. Um, and then sometimes the sweet chili and the sour cream comes in one bowl. Like, they kind of mm. just, like, merge them together like a yin-yang. Or sometimes they come in two separate bowls. <laughs> Uh, so when you're going to make like a, I'm trying to make a sculpture of a generic wedges, and it's hard to know. So I, I'd rather talk to someone about their experience with wedges than what I'm trying to do in my art. Basically, this piece actually, um, just to give a quick summary of it, is that it's just it's called. Some people try to be edgy. Uh, me, I just try to be wedgy. <laughs> um, so it seems like quite a nonchalant, like, silly piece. But then there's so much work that goes into trying to get it just so as well, whether it comes with the serviette, what colour is the serviette, what patterns are on the serviette. Can we pick up talking about um, the shopping lists that you collect and how they led to the work, uh, 52 found shopping lists written by people who need milk? So my first job uh, was at a supermarket, Actually, my first job was paper round, and then I worked at a fish and chip shop for a year. 
But then, like when I turned 14 and nine months, my first real job was at a supermarket. And so I was working in aisle nine, which is the dairy freezer aisle. And one of the things I kept noticing was that in all the, in the milk uh, section was all these, you'd always find shopping lists um, that had just been abandoned. And so uh, my job was to throw out these shopping lists, but straight away I would really study them. They were so interesting and and some of them were really funny. Um, Some of them were just kind of really just intriguing. Often they're written only to be read by the person who wrote them. Mm. Um, So there's this language that only the person writing them needs to be able to understand. And they're kind of like little poems or portraits. And then you ended up using your collection to create a work? I make a lot of work out of ceramics that is kind of uh, replicas of things. And often the things are like produced by machines or yeah, similar to your sweet potato chips, the the, the non-handmade things um, that have like labels and and text um, that's printed. But I started, I wanted to kind of push that into recreating things that were handwritten. Um, so something really nice about handwriting, I think. So just recreating these things that were really sloppily written in like painstaking detail just felt like felt like a good thing to do. I think about your sculptures of very typically Australian things like sauce bottles and sausage rolls and hot dogs. Where does that interest come from? Well, yeah, I grew up uh, in the you know outer suburbs, and we would uh, a friend and I would busk, so we would spend our weekends busking in front of the supermarket um, with yo-yos, <laughs> and um, it was very cool. Um, and uh, then we would spend a lot of the change we had at the bakery. But also, uh, my dad's dad used to own the grocery store where they would like grow all their own vegetables and uh, and then sell them. It's kind of like a milk bar, but with um, fruit and veg as well. So we've always like grew up around that a little bit. And then I think just working at a supermarket, being around food. But also, everybody likes that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. They're just kind of these funny pieces of iconography, I guess, that uh, I kind of like putting into a gallery context or just putting into a real world, like the, into the uh, the real world, quote-unquote, uh, which is why I make all my sculptures at a, um, like a one-to-one scale uh, so that you can kind of play with them, uh, which is the fun part for me, I think. When I look at them, I have this surprising amount of joy of seeing something like a sauce bottle in a ceramic form. Do you know why, uh, I don't know, people find these objects so fun and so pleasurable? I don't know why, but I feel the same way. Like, I grew up watching, I think Wallace and Gromit must have, like, I I love that aesthetic with the thumbprint and the slightly wonkiness. Um, Like, I never use casting, it's all hand-sculpted. For that reason, yeah, I really like it too. And I I get it in other people's work too that has a similar sort of tone. I really want to talk about your ceramic book sculptures. Uh, For people listening, can you explain what they are and how you get writers to sign them? Yeah, so I uh, make sculptures of books is one thing that I do. And basically they look like 
books. Like they're kind of like replicas of existing books. And I mean, the first one I made was back in 2009 or 10, no, nine. And it was at the time, you know, those penguin orange mm. books, the, the classics that they were $10. Now they're like twelve They've kind of, kind of gone up in price. But there was a time there where they were new and it felt like everyone was reading one. Mm. And um, so just because they were everywhere, I wanted to make a work of them. And I was kind of making work that was trying to – I was trying to like blur this line between what's painting and what's sculpture and what's pop art and what's realism. And so I made – a painting, but it was also a sculpture of uh, of one of those books. And then I changed the the author to my name and the title of the book to Painting of a Book. And so that was the first time I'd sort of made a book sculpture. Uh, also, I just wanted to see what my name would look like on one of those Penguin books just because <laughs> I grew up wanting to be a writer. And so it was like... It was kind of living out that fantasy. Mm. I also made a Faden book. You know those? Do you know the Faden art book series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I just made a, a sculpture of one of those for me. <laughs> just because I was like, I wonder what that would look like. And then, um, uh, you know, because it's never going to really happen. So, so uh, in 2014, uh, around December, was the David Shrigley exhibition at the NGV. And I got invited to interview him for Vogue Living, which was really exciting. It felt like a real, real writing thing. And it was also something I could tell my mom about, you know, because if I say, hey, mom, mom, I, I'm in a show at ACA, which was really exciting for me. You know, that doesn't quite mean as much to her. But it's just it's like, I'm writing something for Vogue Living. She's like, really? But so I felt a lot of pressure. Like, I didn't want to stuff up the, the interview. As well as that, he had a book coming out a week before the interview. So I bought the book, read it, uh, made a ceramic sculpture of it, uh, fired it in the kiln and painted it. Um, and then I brought it along to the interview um, just because I wanted to – I think partly I also wanted to show him, like, I'm an artist too, you know. Strictly has been someone who I've kind of admired for a long time. So I was really excited to, to get to talk to him at the thing. I also made like a little present for him that was like a, he collects rulers. Um, and so I made a ceramic sculpture of a ruler, but it was a, um, it was a 31 centimeter ruler. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you know, I know you collect rulers and you probably got heaps that are 30, but you bet you don't have any that are 31. <laughs> and then you got David Shrigley to sign the book. Yeah, I made, so I made the book and that was the first, and he signed it, and that was really cool. I think it kind of activated the, the sculpture in a little way where it gave it this history where if I spend all my time in the studio making a book sculpture, that's one thing, but then when you take it into the world and it gets this experience with the author, it kind of creates an aura, for me at least, um, that is kind of interesting. So I've done that uh, many times since with different people whose books I like, and um, it's quite a big series um, at the point where I don't really know if I'm going to show them. I imagine I will at some point, but for me it's really about the interaction. 
So you must have a pretty big collection of these books in your studio then? Yeah, it takes up most of the studio. Like it's, I think there's about 120 something. Wow. And they're all signed. Yeah, yeah. And so there's been a lot of like really nice little interactions and funny little things. And I made like Ai Weiwei's passport. <laughs> he could have used that at one point. Yeah, well, that's what he said, um, <laughs> uh, which is really cool. Like I watched that documentary of his, of the fake street about where he's basically trapped and, they, and his country had taken away his passport. And then I left seeing that documentary thinking, well, he's never going to get that back. And then... Amazingly, he did just in time for his show at the NGV, and so I made the sculpture that, and, and yeah, he signed it, and it was like, yeah, you know, I could have used this a few months ago, or um, uh, Miranda July um, was a was a really exciting one for me, and she like took a photo of it, and and she was like, you know, I have to delete photo like a video I recorded for my kids so that I have room on my phone to take this photo. <laughs> Uh, which is just so special. Like, um, and I think partly this book series is really just a tribute to some of the to artists and people and um, thinkers that I that have been a big influence on me. Mm. Uh, another one was Tracy Moffat, which was really I loved Tracy Moffat in um, growing up. Her Scarred for Life series was one of my favorite works of art. I think. But I went to a talk that she was giving at RMIT. I spoke to her after the talk and I was like, oh, I made this sculpture in your book. I was hoping you might sign it. And um, she's like, what class is this for? And I was like, oh, no, I don't study here. And she's like, uh-huh. And what subject did you say you're doing? And I was like, no, no, no. So it was really, it was really um, funny. She was just, like, that's the other thing is you kind of come across as a little bit of a fanboy. Sometimes it's not the best way to meet some people. Uh, but so yeah, I, the, I mean, all the sort of the books kind of have all these little anecdotes that go along with them, which uh, as much a part of the work I think as the sculpture. Has anyone ever approached you with something that they've made about your work? No, and I'm waiting for it. I was <laughs> like, this is so obvious. Why is no one? If I, if I existed, then I would do that. Wait, if I if I existed, you know I mean? yeah. if <laughs> like, I wasn't if, myself, if I, I wasn't would make me, I would myself. I would probably do that. But then it's like uh, everyone's making better work than me. So it's more important and about big, bigger things. So I understand that. But I think I'm going to have to um, – I'll just have to do it. I'll make my own book. Wait, you have to write a book first? Uh, oh, yeah, I've made I actually, I've made little um, – uh, they might be called zines, but I they also – they feel more substantial than that. Not, uh, maybe they are just zines. And I've also made like a, a coloring book I made last year um, when I, I did a residency out at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery. I was there to research the bird life of the peninsula. So I like went on little morning expeditions with the Twitches Bird Watching Society and uh, I made a coloring book about that. I think that's the fun thing kind of about my practice is that often I just kind of jump headfirst into completely different subjects that I didn't know anything about prior to that. Like when I did that bird watching residency, I, I you know, I didn't know anything about bird watching, but I, you know, got the binoculars and the camouflage vest and um and uh, got into it. Or like I did I worked with the N G V for the um Hermitage exhibition with the Catherine the Great's collection. 
where I made a book responding to that. And so that was like I had to learn all about, you know, Russia. And even if you if you read the book, you'd think, oh, he doesn't know anything. These are all just jokes and it's very silly. But you kind of need to know the stuff before you can play with it. And I can imagine the humour of your work would have grown quite organically. But now do you ever feel a pressure to be humorous? Not really. I think trying to be humorous is uh, really fun. And I like that challenge. I feel pressure when I have to... Um, try to be smart. <laughs> like I feel like that's way more scary. Like in a situation like this interview where I'm trying to explain why I do what I do, I don't like. I much prefer to just do what I do. <laughs> um, and for me as well, it's like I said, the, it's it's not so much about the the humor as it is about the like you kind of have to figure out what you want to say, and then making it funny is is the easier part. Let's talk about your upcoming drawing residency at Deakin Art Gallery. Uh, do you know what you'll be working on? So uh, it's called The Drawing Room. It's at the Deakin Uni in Burwood. And basically uh, every week for four weeks, a different artist, or in one case, a collective, um, comes into the gallery, which is kind of set up as this space where they put the, a lot of works from their collection on the walls um, and just works for a week on drawing. Basically, my plan with that um, residency is to kind of just go in and respond to the works on the wall and just the situation and the campus itself. But actually, before that residency, I have two other shows opening. There's a show out at a big new arts precincts in Nary Warren called um, Bunjil Place and so I've kind of got like a little solo thing there where actually um, some of the shopping list sculptures will be in that show. So it's going to have like a narrative that runs through the whole exhibition. And then there's another show opening in Sydney in Paddington, a new space called Cement Fondue and yeah, that, anyway, that, that's a group show that opens on the 10th of March. So it's all a, it's a busy, busy little time. And that was artist Kenny Piddick discussing his practice and most recent exhibitions. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and remember to stay in touch with Art Guide Online or pick up a copy of the print edition to keep up to date with art-related news, articles and previews from around Australia.